everybody welcome to the 197th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here quarantined in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in beaverton oregon and man it's been a long time and uh we got another dope shit for you to step to i mean i'm never gonna say any of our shows were whack so uh i had to change <laughs> the rock hem line a little bit paid in full classic yeah I think this was 18th letter. What have you been up to? It, it, it's It's been a bit. Yeah, man. Um, so, I've been really into this draft class now, man. I did a live stream, I think, two weeks ago. And I didn't know, like, tier A prospects. Like, I, did, I never watched Killian Hayes play basketball. I never watched... I didn't even know who Killian Hayes was. Tyrese Maxey. I never knew who these people were. And then I was on a stream. And I was like, I never watched him. I've never watched him. I've never watched him. I need to watch all these people. So for the past few weeks, I've been really on my game about watching all of these players, you know, finding these streams on Reddit and stuff and just like really sitting down and watching, watching these prospects. What's your, what's your top five for Portland at number 14? And what's your overall top five? If we have the number one pick, who would you go for? Oh, I mean, can we say that Max, I, I assume Maxi will be there and he's, he's on, he's tier one. Uh, this is your world. We're living in it. If Portland picks at 14, who are some realistic guys that are your I mean, top Maxie's. five? And then in a dream scenario, we have number one pick. Who are your top five overall? Maxie's num- it's probably number three in, on my board. So Maxie, um, I think Vassell from Florida State is interesting. He's one of those defenders that is more free safety-ish than like, you know, uh, the guy from Auburn is more like a lockdown corner. Yeah, Vassell's uh, more of like a, a free safety type of guy. Um, those are the top two that I really want. If we were going to take a chance on somebody, I think Pat Williams is someone who I like and hate. But if he can just get some of his movement issues, he's going to be a really nice player. And maybe I'm just being oversensitive to his high hips. But like if an NBA training program could get him moving right. He could be one hell of a prospect. And, you know, I think that we have the team, and I, I, I don't think he'll be there, but on my board, he's around there. Obi Toppin would be really good with Zach Collins because he has these defensive inabilities that Zach Collins makes up for. So I think that those two could really work well in a, in a post combo. All right. So, what's your top five overall? For uh, I mean, An- number one pick, Anthony Edwards. Who's your top five? Anthony Edwards. Okay. Lamelo Ball, Tyrese Maxey, the guy from uh, UCLA, uh, USC that I can't pronounce his name one hundred percent. Yeah, double O. And then those are my top four. I, I the rest get kind. It, this one, this draft class is weird because. You see players like LaMelo Ball, such good playmakers and have good athleticism, not great, but you see how intelligent a lot of these players are. 
And it's complete inverse of last year where there was just high level athletes that, you know, can only run basic pick and rolls where like it's a designed if this happens, you pass it to X and that's how we run the offense. So it's a totally different class. But, you know, it. I think that for the Blazers at pick 14, let's just say. You're not getting anything of value for a trade, so I'd rather have a an asset that can be a low a low paid asset because we have so many high paid players that every rookie contract is important and more important than the dog shit that I think the 14th pick or the 12th pick can get. Hypothetically, I saw this on Real GM. Would you trade the 14th pick for a player of Troy Brown Jr.'s caliber from the Wizards? Because he's shown flashes and he's still on his rookie deal. Yeah, I would. I, w- I would trade. Yeah. Yes. I, would trade, I would trade it for Troy Brown. But I don't think... This is probably the first year where I am like all in on trading the pick if you can get a player of value and what i mean by that is you're either getting some form of a veteran who can come in and be a rotation player fill a need primarily defense on the perimeter or you go for a guy like a troy brown jr who for whatever reason hasn't been able to get enough run or hasn't fully developed but you see the signs that he is about to to break through i mean there have been so many players in bad situations i mean you look at orlando uh, Mo Harkless, yeah. Victor Oladipo, like wh- those guys, they leave and then they become really solid players in the case of Oladipo, an all-star. Obviously, that's not always the case. Mario Hazonia was another player like that from the Magic organization, came to Portland, never really blossomed. So it's it's not a surefire thing, but neither is the 14th pick in uh, it's a, a weak pretty draft. It's a weak, weak draft, draft class. And, yeah, like I, I think it's with a, us knowing that, and GM's knowing that, it's like, are we really going to try and trade into this shitty draft? And another thing Portland needs to consider is with revenues being down, I mean, we don't know if we're going to get a season this year, what the season next year is going to look like, probably without fans. That means salary caps are probably going to go down. So you're able to then add another player on mm-hmm. one of the cheapest the- team-friendly deals that you can. Which is it, very it, valuable. It's extremely important. I mean, because we have so many high-priced guys that you need to balance that. And you replenish your war chest of cheap assets. Yes, I know we have a lot of them. But they also are going to get that second contract relatively soon. So it's like, we have to replenish this war chest of good, at, good cheap, young contracts. But it's definitely something I've been scouting. I mean, I think my favorite player and i don't think we'll we, we are way too high for him but xavier tillman out of uh michigan state is my new favorite college basketball player Why's he that? can pass on the roll as on the as a role man he'll hit that corner he'll he's a really good passer really good defender just really smart like he studies how to properly defend each and every big in the big in his conference and it just shows like the amount of uh like intelligence that being a post defender in this in this league shows like you have to really you have to really know who you're going against and Xavier Tillman is that kind of guy that I I, I think it would be a bad pick at for us at 14 but if we traded back and got Xavier Tillman I'd be psyched What have you been up to in this you know week or two that we haven't been broadcasting what have you, what have you been doing to pass your time 
We have been watching all of the Star Wars movies. I have not seen them all, so we are watching them in a specific order to kind of help me comprehend it because it's a it's a little over my head. I'm not super into sci-fi, but I dig it. And so, you know, trying to go back and watching. I've seen some of the old ones, which I really enjoy, and trying to watch all of that franchise. Uh, Olga and I are remodeling our front yard, so we are doing... Um, a lot of manual labor, which is actually very satisfying and just kind of takes my mind off of everything. And it's nice to get out there and sweat and, and feel sore in the morning. Um, and just really watching a lot of classic Blazers basketball. Um, I'm actually, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, going to put up a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, but there's 50 plus items that I have that I'm going to uh, put up on my personal Twitter feed. That's at dhaws22. And 20% of the proceeds I'm going to donate to Cat Adoption Team. And I was inspired. If you're not following him, he's probably got the best Blazers collection that I've ever seen. The, his Steve Davies, uh, at Blazer Collector. He's got a lot of dope shit. Um, the, the collection is nuts. There was a YouTube feature on him about 10 years ago. He's even given away some of that stuff back to the team. Um, he's got stuff I've never seen before. He's got stuff that I wish I had, and he's got stuff that I do have. I mean, it's just, it's awesome to see a collection, uh, because there is no Blazers Museum, which I, I really wish there was, especially there's so much room in the Rose Quarter to have a Blazers Museum, there's so much retail space, like that needs to happen. So it's really up to certain collectors to kind of curate it. And so it's really great to see the stuff that's coming through on his feed. He's doing uh, auctions as well, donating proceeds. Um, so I was really inspired by that. You know, I'm trying to um, clean out my, my stuff a little bit. Some of the things I have duplicates of um, and other things I just uh, don't have room for. You know, I've got my blazer room in my house and I've got, you know, stuff throughout the house. Um, and so for me, if it's not... If I don't have it displayed and it doesn't have sentimental value, uh, I'm trying to, you know, share that with people that would be able to display it or ha has sentimental value for them. You know, just trying to save up some money, but also, you know, keep the collection in check. And there's a couple of white whales that I have out there that I'm looking to get. And so I'm trying to, you know, if I give stuff away, like I want to make sure if I bring something in, you know, it's kind of like recycling. I don't need to keep adding. I'm, I'm at a not a pretty good limit right now. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I'm really excited about some of the things. Um, so, I, you know, I worked for the team for about five years and we have uh, at Blazers HQ what's called the Spine. And it's on the, the main floor. But, I mean, you would walk in and there'd be something new every day. Now, it's whether it's someone's cleaning out their desk, uh, someone's moving on. Uh, or they do annual spring cleanings and there would just always be stuff there. And my desk was always right near the spine. So I would always be able to have really good access to that. And so there are some pretty dope items, um, some promotional items that they would send out to the media, uh, specifically like Brandon and Marcus when they're trying to get them all-star bids or put them up for rewards. Um, just, just really cool stuff that maybe might not have been made available to the public. And so... Uh, really excited to share that and, you know, hopefully make some money for, for all the cats out there. I mean, I, I, I think like some of the, the clothes that I wear today were found by you in those five years. So as, as someone who has taken some of your gifts uh, of Blazers merch, I do appreciate it because, man, your boy has not worn – like this is one of the first times in a long time I've worn sleeves on my shirts, so – your boy has been lounging. 
and I got some goodies for you too. Nope. I mean, yo, man, I'm I'm definitely excited for when when it, it is possible for you know you and I to actually hang out to to get those. Did you watch the Jordan doc? I did. Uh, so it's going to be strange because there's no more Sunday night plans. Like that's one one thing I did enjoy was like every Sunday you knew from like six to eight, and I would even watch the Sports Center afterwards with, with Scott Van Pelt. And so you had three hours on a Sunday night where you're just kind of locked in and, and enjoying some content. I would say that when I saw the trailer drop, we all saw the trailer drop last summer and said, okay, in 2020, we're doing this. We've got all access, never before seen footage from the 97, 98 season. I was like, oh my God, there, there's 10 of these. Like, this is going to be insane. And I was excited that they released them earlier, obviously due to the season being postponed. But after watching them, a few things have kind of taken the luster away from it. And I would say, before I say anything else, like, definitely worth my time. Definitely enjoyed watching it. This is just being, even if I didn't have, you know, even if we did have live sports to watch, I would still probably critique it a bit. And so my critiques are, there's not enough 97, 98 coverage. It feels more of a historical doc than the actual season. And that's what I wanted to know about was, is the season. Like I've read enough books on Jordan uh, about him specifically. Like I've known most of that stuff. Tying it back to Jordan, it's more of a Michael Jordan documentary than a Chicago Bulls documentary. And that's that's another where the, I'd rather see the team aspect. Like they didn't really get into Coach that much. When they got into Steve Kerr, that was fascinating. Like I could have learned more about Steve Kerr uh, Pippen for being as incredible as he was like they kind of glossed over it they gave him maybe like half of one of the episodes I was like come on like he delivered one of the best lines in trash talk history which ESPN on their website covered in depth which was game one of the 97 finals when he basically told Carl Malone with the game tied the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays and Malone goes up there and bricks two free throws Jordan hits the game winner they didn't even cover that so they left even when they did the historical stuff they just left out too much. Um, so I would say I would have liked to have heard more. Like David Aldridge was fantastic with his stories when he was in there. It was great that they got Barack. Um, they got Bill Clinton for a little bit. Um, but just it was too Jordan heavy. And it felt like they clearly glossed over the 92 finals. And if you were kind of looking at that, they had an opposing player interviewed for almost every series in the finals, whether it was the Lakers, Sonics, Jazz, uh, Suns, Pacers, uh, Knicks. I loved that the Blazers were like, no, we're not going to be a part of this this Jordan love fest because that's kind of what it was. It was like if you kind of sucked up to Jordan, you got more airtime in there. And, you know, you got Reggie basically, you know, giving Jordan a lot of love. Charles did as well. And it's like, nah, I'm glad the Blazers weren't about that. You know, it's dope that people got to see one of the best players ever and it sparked debates. And since no basketball has happened, the one thing that we can do to keep the game in mind besides watching old college film like me is debate it. So it, it sparked some debates. I enjoyed it. I think it was Jordan heavy. And I think that there had to have been a lot of stuff left on the cutting room floor. And whoever made the doc had to make some executive decisions. And I think featuring Jordan so heavy is a safe. Well, I think he had executive control over it too. Like that was the, the, that was the deal. Like you can follow us, but you can't release it until I say, and obviously he, he did have creative direction over everything. So you can tell it was very pro 
pro MJ. I, I would say though, I mean, I, I what I would say is I don't think he he would not be able to do his antics as a teammate that he did in the nineties today. Like that's just not going to happen. People are going to stand up for themselves. Um, it's not the way leadership operates. It made me so happy that we have a guy like Damian Lillard who treats the, the second best player like he does the 15th player. Like he treats everybody with respect. He might be hard on them, but he's never going to belittle them. And you could kind of tell when some of the role players were interviewed, like that they just did not enjoy playing with this guy. And yes, he got results. That That's why it's accepted is because he won. But I'm just glad that we're kind of hopefully away from that because we've all probably played sports as, as children. And we had some of those bully teammates. I hated playing with those guys. Like, let's just have fun. Obviously, that's at a higher stakes, but... I mean, the stories, whether they're true or not, of Michael Jordan not letting Horace Grant eat after a bad game, the true story of punching Steve Kerr, um, the rumored story of Joe Klein, who didn't play in the 98 finals, but was said to be like weeping, like so happy they won. And Jordan saying, why are you crying? Like, I won this for us. Like, again, these are rumored stories aside from the Kerr when the Kerr one was confirmed. Like, that just is... On, that, to me, that 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 crosses a, a line, and it doesn't change my opinion of him as a basketball player. I still think he is probably the best, but man, like I, I'm just glad that I didn't ha- like have to play with him if I was an athlete of that level. I would just be like, trade me. I don't even want to win a fucking championship if it means I got to play with you in and out of practice. Like, th- there's better ways to lead. With with me scouting all these players, it made me think like every player is so different. I mean, you have your Michael Jordans and you have your end of the bench guys. But for each role, what do you look for in a lead point guard? It's something that since there are so many lead guards in this draft, what are the few things that when you watch film and it could be Steve Kerr in 96, it could be. Damian Lillard in 2019. What are the things that you look for in a good uh, initiating point guard? Like, what are those things? Because I I spent a while watching it, and like there there's some things that came to mind really fast about what is relevant in today's game in 2020, where like it, it's different from 96. It's different from that where the triangle was so good. Like, so what are the things as a point guard that you're looking for for uh, someone that you want to draft? It's tough because it's not all cookie cutter. You can't say this person has to have X, Y, and Z and and they're good to go because I will tell you right now, I was flat wrong on a guy in the same draft class as Damian Lillard and Kendall Marshall. He was fantastic. He was fantastic at North Carolina. He was their engine. When he went out, the team floundered and that to me was a good sign. Like, okay, like that happens with Dame too. Like we're not as good when he is off the floor. I mean, obviously, that's an overarching trait that that tends to work out pretty well is you have a high plus minus because you have the ball in your hands a lot. But overall, you have to be able to shoot. I mean, that was Kendall Marshall's down, one of his major downfalls. Like in today's NBA, you have to have a point guard that can stretch the defense. You have to have a point guard who is willing to show some leadership qualities. 
Now, clearly, Damian Lillard is our best player, and he is our leader, and a point guard, so so it all makes sense there. But if you look at a player like Rajon Rondo, he was never the best player on those Celtic teams, or with the Lakers or the Pelicans, but he had leadership qualities, and he was able to run an offense. You know the sets, so you have to have a high basketball intelligence to be a point guard. The ball's in your hands. You obviously have to be able to triple the basketball. I mean, you have to be able to break a press. You have to be able to split a defense. You have to be patient. The game has to come slow to you. You can't have a point guard who's out there flustered. And to me, I don't like point guards that take a lot of risks. Um, I think a high turnover rate is okay if you have the ball in your hands a lot. But it depends on what the type of turnovers are, if if that makes sense. the type of action. Yeah, like if you start to get a little too crazy, like you're trying to do behind the back passes or you're trying to get a little wide, like, no. But if it's, okay, I, I drew a charge because I was trying to dr- drive to the paint or, you know, some something of, of that nature, I mean, passes are going to get stolen, especially if you're the primary ball handler, which a guy like Lillard is. And then, you know, lastly, I, I just, I, I think you need to, to, to be a good teammate, Um to know your role. And I think that goes across all five positions. So for a guy like Dame, when we drafted him, he needed to fill that, that lead guard role. Like you really are going to have the ball in your hands. You're probably going to be the second best player right off the bat. You're going to take a lot of shots. Are you okay with that? So it just depends on where you are as an organization and where you're, what you're drafting that, that player to do. So if you look at a guy in Sacramento, like De'Aaron Fox, they drafted him to really be, the face of the franchise. Like they were going in a completely different direction. They needed someone to initiate the offense. They needed someone to say, this is, you know, I'm, you need to be here, run, run, run all of the sets and basically control the organization as, as the face, as a, as a young leader. And that's what they were looking for. Um, you look at a guy like the Cleveland Cavaliers, they took Colin Sexton. They basically said, you're the best player available. And then they did it the next year with Darius Garland. And so now you have two lead guards who really shouldn't be playing with each other, but now they kind of mm-hmm. have to. And they have to because so, of the, the assets that they spent to get those. And so the traits they were looking for were a little bit different. So again, it, it, it just, it, it really all depends. But I, I think shooting ability, high basketball intelligence, and your overall just willingness to, to be a, a good teammate. Like, like I think those three in today's NBA are, are what you have to have. Like you, you've got to be versatile. Yeah. Um, on my list of things that I'm looking for, I had ability to penetrate the defense. Cause that's so important, whether it is to get the layup of your own or pass it out. Cause a lot of what people do is draw and kick, uh, penetrate and read a defense. Because Zach Levine, for example, can penetrate the shit out of a defense, but can he read the defense? That it, There's a difference to it. And if I have my lead initiator, my lead playmaker, not be able to know what to do when they see a certain pick and roll coverage, it, it, it worries me. Um, I think the pull-up jumper, you t- talked about shooting, but I think the pull-up, if you look at the most elite players in today's game with that are point guards or their lead ball handlers all of them except russell westbrook are really good pull-up jump shooters like dame steph kyrie trey young they all have that one thing in pull-up shooting and i think if you're trying to copy what today's meta is for uh, a lead playmaker i think 
jump shooting has to be one of those things because it bends the defense so much if you can just walk up to the left wing and just pull and confidently pull you're 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 so much more dangerous than than Russell Westbrook that needs to just drive to be a, an elite like shit Russ who else what other elite elite point guard can't do a jump shot like do a pull up jump shot like even Drew Holiday who I love he has a really good pull up jumper like they all of the good ones have it and I, I think one of the most interesting things is for bigs because we've talked about Obi Toppin a lot and when I watch him he has a hunch in his back and he has high hips so wh- what are the things that you look for in in, in a big because number one for me is fluid it's funny you say that because I just read a piece on the ringer about 90s and 2000s bigs who would thrive even more today and obviously you know you've got Garnett who could probably handle the ball better than Minnesota ever let him Rasheed Wallace Mm. was ahead of his time could probably play the three through the five stretch the defense with the jumper had an array of post moves could defend on an island can switch can play perimeter you got Anthony Mason who could have been uh really a a playmaker at that five and Mm -hmm. So the type of big has completely changed. What you need in, in, in a traditional big is he really has to have some resemblance, probably, of a jump shot. Like, you have to be able to at least be a threat. Like, you don't have to be Dirk, but you look at a guy like Jokic, he can out there step, and he, he's comfortable. Like, you need to be comfortable shooting the basketball. I would say Zach Collins is comfortable. It doesn't go in as much as it should, but he's got a good stroke, and you can see that he's got the ability to grow into that as as a basketball player. Uh, versatility. You're going to need a big that can play either the four or the five. You're going to need a big who can go out there and defend a pick and roll, hedge, or even switch and stay on an island long enough to really make sure the shot clock's winding down and just hold their own. And you also need a big who is capable still rebounding. Like rebounding and blocking shots, that's never going to go away for your taller players on the court. So the modern big still has to do that. So we ask, even though it's a point guard driven league, the evolution of the modern NBA big man has really put so many stressors on these players. Mm. Like they have to add so much more to their arsenal. They're basically a guard, but in a seven footer's body. And that, that's where you see a lot of the value, especially when you look at those, even, they may not even be traditional bigs, but you look at your small forwards, 6'9, six, 6'10, six, like, you have to do everything. That's why they're such at a premium and why the Clippers were looked at as the favorites because they have two of the best in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, guys that can go out and guard point guards. But if you need them to play the four, fuck it, they can go out there and do that as well. And so, that's why I like Double um, O from, from USC because he's probably the best at that in this draft class, and that's why I love, and that's why I like Zach Collins so much. Yeah, that, and that's why I think he could make Obi Toppin look good. So having bigs like that, and that to me, one of the reasons why I think the two thousands Blazers were ahead of their time. It's because they were loaded with bigs like that. Brian Grant, Rasheed Wallace, Jermaine O'Neal was on the bench. I mean, hell, you could even place a bonus at the five against some teams. I mean, he was even pulling guys out, shooting that that three. Um, just the ability to swarm, to switch, the post-up game, the rebounding, the block shots. I mean, just they got into it. And I, I saw 
uh, a thread about, you know, what happened to the 99 Utah Jazz? Everyone was talking about, you know, how the Jazz took the Bulls to six games in 97, 98, and then they got ousted in the second round. Well, one, the Jazz were older, obviously, but the Blazers were such a terrible matchup for them. You either had J.R. Ryder or you had Steve Smith the following year just pounding Hornacek in the post, working the, the, just getting easy, easy buckets. And then you had those plethora of bigs that I just mentioned, just throwing one by one at Carl Malone. I mean, Malone couldn't play 48. I mean, you've got these Blazers with fresh legs and long arms, just swarming him. And then you've got Damon and Greg Anthony really making life difficult for a guy like John Stockton. And it was a recipe for disaster. Uh, they took them out in six games in 99 and five the following year in 2000. So, uh, the Blazers were a matchup nightmare, and I, I don't think people realize how good that team was. Um, I just watched the game four against the Timberwolves in the first round uh, yesterday uh, on NBC Sports as part of the classic games, and ESPN released their you know top 74 players of all time, and they had Kobe and Shaq in the top 10. The Blazers were couple of jump shots and maybe a couple of questionable calls away from dethroning that team, maybe even stopping that dynasty from ever happening. And we're talking about two top 10 players of all time. And that's how just versatile and deep and smart that that Blazers unit was. And, you know, that's, that's something to, to not really take lightly. Yeah, we, we blew a lead, but fuck. I mean, that was a tough fucking team to beat. Mm. So on mine, it was a strength because I see a lot of weak uh, bigs in this draft class that get pushed around by smaller people. And I think strength for a big is just so important. Like even as a guard, like if you don't have that quick first step, if but if you're strong, like Kyle Lowry doesn't have that quick first step anymore, but he's so much stronger than the average point guard. Strength, I mean, it's so it's so important in all. Oh, he's uh, a pit bull. Yeah, like, I mean, Chris Paul, he didn't have that Derrick Rose speed, but he was a strong man. And, like, he can he can be a good defender at six feet. Like, that that just shows how much strength he has. But for a big, you just have to have it. And we talked about movement abilities. So, like, the fluid hips, the way that they move, because you do have to switch, especially. I mean, with our team, you have to be able to be on the perimeter. Um, you have to have good interior and team defense because there's just so many different coverages quick decision making i think as a big especially if you're doing a pick and roll and you see somebody in that that corner uh, as you're rolling down as as that big man if you can make that split second decision oh you add so much more value to your team think about Jokic, like boom he makes these decisions so fast on the and makes it fly though if you can make that quick decision and make an easy three for your guy in the corner as you're rolling man you you make that shit you make your offense so much nastier and then be coordinated like remember Hashim to be got was the second pick in the draft and he's just big like if you're coordinated as a big it's so it's so it is it, huge for me what about for your d and for three and D, I mean, you, you said it right. They have to be able to catch and shoot. You saw how valuable Rodney Hood was when he went to the lab this past offseason and he just became a knockdown shooter off, off of the catch and shoot. Like, as a sh- we say shooting, but there's so much more to it than just being able to make an open shot. Like, how good are you off of the dribble? How good are you 
with the ball in your hands. How good are you in the post? How good are you off of a screen, off of movement, or just standing in a corner and waiting for a shot to come? There's so many different variants of that. And I think for a three and D you have to just catch and shoot. Obviously I think you need a really high basketball intelligence on the defensive end of the floor. You have to mm-hmm. read defenses, read situations, know your teammates, know when they want help, know where the help should come. Uh, you just have to be extremely smart and I think you have to be a little bit of a risk taker. Uh, I love defenders that play the passing lanes. Yeah, you're going to get beat a little bit, but just like in football, that pick six going to make going to make up for it. Um, you have to have a short memory, and you just you have to be you have to be a dog like a Wesley Matthews, where you are willing to take on the challenge of defending the team's best player, and you're going to get beat probably a lot of the time. But you have to have a short memory and you just have to want it more. Like when you're a defender, defense is a lot of want more than skill. And so if, if you just have that passion, so, you know, you look at passion, you look at catch and shoot, high intelligence and a little bit of a risk taker. That, that's what I want to see out of out of a three and D. I want to see them release. I want them to shoot the same every single time they shoot the ball, because when you see someone shoot the ball but it looks different every every time it shows that there's some weaknesses in their form like uh Vassell in uh Florida State it doesn't look pretty but it's consistent every time he shoots and that's important just not every shooter has to be Clay Thompson who has the perfect form like if you can just make if you can be consistent with your shot and if there's something that needs to change in your shot you can change it, but I just need to see the consistency. And I want to see how you attack the closeout. Because if you can't attack that close, it's going to be pretty damn easy to defend you. Like, is it, can you drive off it? Can you, pa- like, can you take that step to the left and it launch? Like, there's so many different closeouts. So, and then versatility defensively. It's just so, there's just so much a basketball player has to do. Like, uh, and, and be strength. You have to have strength. Like, I guess strength and movement abilities is important for everybody, but if you're going to be that lock defensively, you can't be you can't be a sieve defensively if what your goal, what they brought you there for is D and three. I have one last question that I'm going to let you go because I know you have something you have to do. Let's say in this draft, there's somebody in the same tier as like there is no best player available. It's in your that you're dealing with second tier. Does a wing have more value than a point guard if they're on the same tier? Like, is posi- absolutely does positional like versatility weigh out, how, or and how much does it weigh out for you as you're trying to talk about prospects or players? Yeah, if there's no clear cut best player available, you have to draft for positional fit. What you're going to need down the line, um, you can't just say, "Oh, well." We had a point guard ranked 13th on our board and this really good small forward is 14th on our board, but that point guard's available. Like if, if that gap is super small, take the positional fit. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and wings we're, I mean, we talk about how much we need wings and if we can get one for a low cost, like in year little is that wing that we would like, if we can double up and triple up on a wing on a very, very, reasonable contract for the next four four years and then if he's good we can give him that secondary contract you know that the, there's just a lot of people that say best player available best player available but if 
if one player is going to result in being a backup point guard and one is take could be a backup three, take the three because of how rarity, how rare that that position is in the NBA. We're all looking for that D and three wing. If we can find it, it's a much better risk than just you know the the fourteenth ranked point guard when you're talking about the same tier of people. I, I I promise the people of the Holy Backboard that we will get in to individual draft people, but I, I think it's cool that we could talk about like what we're looking for because I think the age of being able to be skilled in one particular thing is gone now. You have to be a versatile basketball player because this era you have to have that 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 skill of being good at two three things. Of course, we're going to put you out there to do one thing, but you have to show that you have the abilities to do two, three, four, five things. So Tuesday was supposed to be the draft lottery. Clearly, it got postponed. We're supposed to hear something by June 1st. Sage, do you think we're getting any sort of a season this year? I'd pass it. Like, if this was dribble pass shoot, I'd, get, I'd pass it. I don't know. I need more information. I think I'm shooting that shit from 37 like Dame. Like... It just seems like the more information that's coming out, again, I don't know if it's going to be successful or if it's the right thing, but if we're talking about a season, another game in this 1920 season, I'm shooting that thing. Uh, apparently, Disney World is all on board. They're starting to open up the facilities. I mean, Shams, or Chris Haynes, I think that reported that, like, Dame, LeBron, and Steph Curry and a few others were on like a private conference call. Like, okay, how do we get this moving? Clearly the players want to play. Um, now we don't know what's going to happen when somebody tests positive or, or what they're going to do or like, I'm not, I don't want to really use this space right now to discuss like whether it's right or wrong, because that's a whole nother podcast in itself. Um, but if, Clearly, the NBA wants to make money. They're not making any money right now. A lot of the players, I would assume, want to play because they're probably this is what they do. I mean, they're professional basketball players, and this is you don't train this hard not to love the game. And I think if they do play, it's going to be some sloppy basketball for a while. And I think there may be uh, a champion that we don't even think can happen because I mean, you're you're talking about removing all of the fan element. All of the travel out of it, going to a hostile environment. We talk about role players playing better at home. Well, it's home for everybody. And, you know, th- this may be more of a, of a Rucker Park or, a, you know, a summer run where we hear about players going to UCLA or, or, or those type of places like that. Like, how comfortable is it going to be? I mean, we've seen like Hoodie Mellow dominate runs like this. So, like, I'm honestly, if they do have a season, intrigued to see the level of play, like, is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? Are we going to see players rise to the occasion with it? I mean, like, there's no fans there. Like, does that make it easier, more free-flowing for them, like, less pressure? There's just so many things that are going to be different if there is a season. And, um, you know, my my money would be on them playing some form of basketball. Again, I'm not sold that it's the right thing to do. And I think they're going to come to a a decision. Somebody is going to test positive. I I think we all can agree that's probably going to happen. And and what happens then? And I think Adam Silver said, well, if somebody tests positive, we can't shut the the season down. And so that's 
you know, if they don't have a workaround around that, let's not even play because they envision somebody's going to test it. So they have to have a solution in mind. And, you know, he's he's a pretty smart man. Seems like the owners and the players are, are really letting him lead and how he wants to do it. Um, but that that would be that would be my guess is we get something. And I think they're going to have to do I don't think they finished the entire season, but like they're going to play some games. So you get the, the seeding correctly. And what do you think they'll do for the lottery and like all the draft combine stuff? That's a, a good question because we are in uncharted territory. The NFL was able to get their combine off before the pandemic hit. So, you know, I don't, I don't, one, I, I think the combine is, is overrated. It, not in the sense, not the, the best people have been skipping it for, for ages and it's becoming more prevalent. Obviously you're going to have your success stories like, like Dame. Dame's a competitor. He went there day in and day out and rose his draft stock. So in a way it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt some people, but the majority of the top prospects, they weren't going to be part of it anyways. And so, you know, obviously there was no NCAA tournament. They're, they're probably going to have to go based upon, you know, film. Um, they probably are going to be able to be able to do virtual inter- interviews, with, which makes a lot of sense. Um, the lottery will be interesting to see because if they only do play a couple of games, there's still 10 to 12, maybe 15 on the table that could really impact the seating. So do they then alter the odds to, to reflect that and maybe even them out a, a little bit more? Um, but but if there there is a season, um, I think it does favor teams with strong leadership and, and veteran players. And Portland yeah. is an intriguing team because Utah all of a sudden they they lose Bogdanovich to the season with, with a he had he had right wrist surgery. So they are now clearly everybody would love to play Utah. They didn't have the depth either. What like they they, they sold out for uh, Mike Conley. Mike Conley, and then you look at a team like Portland who. Aside from Rodney Hood, it is getting their opening night team back, and clearly they haven't played it with each other. But those are still those are still big boys. I mean, you're still getting Zach and you know Nurkic back, and it'll be interesting. But I I would like teams that have strong leadership. The Lakers with a LeBron, uh, Portland with Dame. Obviously, they would play each other in the first round if Portland was able to move move ahead. But you're really looking at a crapshoot. Like it, it could be even wilder than the 99 playoffs where you had an eight seed Knicks make it all the way to the finals. Like it, it's going to be so um, interesting if, if it does in fact happen. Um, but you know, with, without a vaccine, I, I don't think they're going to have fans uh, available mm-hmm. even, even if they play a next season. So you know, this is probably the most difficult challenge that league ownership has, has faced. And there's a lot of logistics that can ruin this shit for everybody. But if it happens, I'm I'm going to be watching. I, I think all of this will be very interesting in, in a future perspective of how we dealt with this, this virus. I think that's a, a really good point because, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, COVID-19 isn't going to be the last virus that comes out that we don't have a, a vaccine for. Um. I think our world has been turned upside down and a lot of what is going on, we'll probably have to take with us moving forward. 
um, in terms of cleanliness and how we interact with one another. So there may not always be a, a vaccine. And does that, I mean, it could go one of two ways, like sports completely can just go away. Like as a society, we, we move forward and say it's players like, okay, we don't want to do this and we find other hobbies and it slowly gets out of our society or the other happens. And we kind of have a new normal and whether that's lower capacity at games or there's a vaccine for this one and there's not another pandemic, we can go back to normal or, you know, players have to get tested before they enter the arena for every game. Um, employees and referees and media. And I mean, it's, it's just a lot that I think is going to define us as a society for the next decade plus or not decade, the next millennium plus um, century. Century is what I was looking for. I'm sorry. I'm all over the map here. Like it's been a few weeks. And so, you know, I'm faced with the, the realities of, okay, like I'm staying at home, but are, am I going to have to go to, what if I have to go to the store? And, you know, we've really been just doing it. One person goes to the store, you know, so we really lower the density going in there. Or if, you know, if, if I have to go to the office, like how, how, how does that work? Like I can work from home, but if I got to get a story, okay, am I wearing a mask? Am I wearing my gloves? I'm staying obviously six feet away. Like is this, how are we going to start to rework into society? Um, it's just, it's a, like I said, it's a podcast for someone uh, smarter than me. Definitely, definitely smarter than me as well. Um, but I would just say like, if you're out in public, please, you know, please, please wear a mask. Be, be respectful uh, of others. Stay, yeah. You know, quit with this racist nonsense. Listen to the, the health experts out there. Stay your ass at home. If you can stay home, like I'm definitely all about going for walks around the neighborhood. Um, drives if you need to just you know get get away uh but but really try to to stay at home as much as possible limit the amount of times you have to go to the store try and get as much stuff as you can be efficient and and be respectful especially of those workers who are essential whether that's your garbage man whether that's your your grocery clerk your nurse your doctor your your firefighter like these are the heroes that, that these are the day-to-day heroes and they're mm-hmm. essential and they, life still goes on for them and they got to go out there and there's no, there's no work from home for them. And so just, just be respectful. I think the way we get through this is with a lot of empathy and putting yourself in other people's shoes and being respectful and just being kind. Um, this is not the time to be selfish. This is not the time to freak out because you can't get a haircut. I mean, Lord, look at me right now. Like I, it's the longest my hair has probably ever been. Beard's going. It looks like you're part of the Red Dead Redemption Two, bro. If you didn't have the glasses, you could be a cowboy. Let's go. I mean, I guess it gave me some cowboy boots, some Wranglers. Um, now I'm ready to go. But just, just be, be respectful. Put your feelings aside for a minute and think of others. Others need to be put first. Like if, if they say you can't get in there without a mask, put put on a fucking mask. I've seen like, I have to limit my media coverage because I just get so upset with how people are acting. And it's like, 
you know, quit being so fucking entitled. Just, just, just listen to the experts. Just, just be, be regular. Like it's, you know, we're, we're not asking a lot here, Sage. So I, I, I want to talk about, uh, Tara team mom and, uh, how she is retiring or chilling out with a lot of the coverage. And I want to, you know, pay homage to what she's done for uh, Blazers media and especially making it a uh, safer place for women to create and do beautiful things in uh, this, this realm that we were in. Uh, she started a lot of the dope shit that uh, a lot of the uh, ladies that uh, create content do surrounding the Blazers. So I want to, you know, pay homage to her. She's a great person. She's been on this show She's probably one of our most had guests because she she's just so positive. So I I do I I wanted to wrap it up by uh, saying thank you to Tara. Shout out to Tara. Met her plenty of times at games. Got photos. Uh, we've both been to the Blazers what meetups. Um, a true trailblazer. No no pun intended. Like really made yep. it cool for women to talk about sports. And, and I say that because a lot of women probably didn't feel like it was a safe space. Like, oh, if they said something, are, are, the, are the men going to think they're, you know, maybe not as intelligent about it? Or like maybe they keep their opinion to themselves because they don't want to be seen as not intelligent. But it, it's when I went to those meetups, it was such a fun environment because everyone was just, you know, having a good time, not afraid to to speak their mind on the game. It was a collaborative environment. It didn't matter whether you were black, white, male, female, what, whatever. Like we were all there as members of Rip City. And I think she was uh, a really a, a big part in, in making that community really special. Mm-hmm. And I, I know she's going to continue to be part of the Blazers What group. And, you know, we're both members. I, I, I was there watching the Nerf game with her and, uh, it was awesome. Like there's ladies there that have been fans longer than I've been alive. And like to have that, inf- like to have a safe space for people to talk about, like how I was a fan of the eighties, the nineties or the seventies. It's, it, it, it's a cool thing that what she did to empower women. And I mean, so respect to you. And, you know, like it, it's one of those uh, blazers podcast. OGs have hung up the microphone and, you know, I, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for all you've done for the community. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast. We're going to broadcast when we broadcast. There is no real schedule. What, if there's more information that comes out, we'll be we'll be there to talk about it. I, I'm not going anywhere from this Blazers community. I, I There's so many goals that I want to have with this podcast, so... We will be here. It's just there isn't that much to talk about, so we uh, we we took a little break, and I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to roll. So thank you all for listening. I just wanted to see your face. Thanks, <laughs> man. That's awesome. All right, so we're out of here. Thank you so much for listening. You're a real one if you've gotten this far, and we out you. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!